other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, imagine you have the opportunity to talk with the author of the best-selling nonfiction book series of all time. Imagine you had the opportunity to talk to the person who has the record for the being the ratings king in prime time in cable news for the most number of years. And imagine you had the opportunity to talk with a journalist who has covered hot spots, war zones, you name it, literally all over the world. But imagine they are all the same person, fortunately for you and for me. We don't have to imagine because uh, very, very proud to call a colleague, veteran journalist, nationally syndicated radio talk show host, and the host of the No Spin News, and a New York Times bestselling author many times over, whose forthcoming book is Confronting the Presidents, the one and only Bill O'Reilly. Bill, thanks for coming on the radio with me. Well, that's quite an intro. That'll wake everybody up, Frank. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We asked the tough questions here. Everybody wants to know, what did uh, former Catholic school teacher Bill O'Reilly give up for Lent? You know, I addressed that on the No Spin News tonight, uh, which anybody can access on BillOReilly.com. I don't give up anything. What I do is uh, a random act of kindness every day for 40 days. And I gave an example. Uh, you know, if you can't watch the show tonight... Um, we have a concierge program at BillOReilly.com, Frank, where you sign up and um, you basically have that direct access to me. You get a special email, and it's all confidential, and it's like an insurance policy for your life. You get into trouble, you tell me what the problem is, we'll help you solve it. So a guy writes to me from New Jersey, and he's a big legal trouble, this guy, and far more than just hiring a lawyer. And so I said, all right, I'm going to research myself. And I found two organizations in Jersey that specialize in his problem that I never heard of. And it took me about an hour to root them out. And I gave them to this guy, and hopefully they'll help him. And that's a random act of kindness. I didn't have to do it. Um, and I don't have the real time to do it, but that's my mandate for Lent, uh, 40 acts of kindness. I love it. I think that's great. And uh, hopefully uh, coming on this show in the middle of the night qualifies as uh, today's random act of kindness. Appreciate that. Um, I got to ask you on a, a very serious note. Obviously, you've been on the air for decades now, and we've seen the problem with gun violence in this country get worse. Yesterday, we saw this or Wednesday afternoon, we saw this shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade it's characterized as a mass shooting. We don't have that many details yet. But uh, obviously you have one section of the country that uses this as an opportunity to call for gun control. Another section of the country that says this is about mental health or better policing or about you name it. Well, what's your take on why mass shootings are so commonplace in the United States these days? Well, homicide has always been with us since Cain and Abel. That's why that's in the Bible. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a segment of the human population that has absolutely no morals. They're evil people. That's where you start. These people in a free society will always have access to weapons. In America, they have access to very deadly weapons. And my take is that the states 
should regulate this, much like what the Supreme Court did with abortion. So if you live in Wyoming, and uh, it's a rural state, 450,000 people, the police cannot protect you in Wyoming. It's too vast, or aren't enough of them. It's reactive, so somebody comes on your property bent on stealing everything you have and killing you, you got to have a gun. You have to. In New York City, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. So it's a dense place. You can't have people uh, carrying firearms all over the place. But you can't ban them. That's wrong. People, Americans, have the right to self-defense, and that's why the Second Amendment is in there. There's no doubt about it. All the founding fathers agreed that individual citizens have a constitutional right to defend themselves with firearms. Now, Europe doesn't have that because they don't have constitutions like Mm -hmm. that. All right? But America was such a dangerous place when it was founded, you know, with Native Americans. And, uh, you know, if you were moving west, you had bears chasing you. You know what it is. You had to have. So now... um, if people think banning guns is going to stop these mass shootings, they're insane. There are 300 million guns, at least, on the streets of, New York, of uh, America. And the criminals are going to get the guns. They're going to buy them on the black market, and the nuts are going to get them, and they're going to use them. So if you pass prohibitive gun laws, who, who are you hurting? You're hurting the law-abiding person who wants to defend themselves. That being said, you can't have a mortar. Okay, right. you can't have or a, a bazooka. bazooka. Yeah, right. Right. So the state then says, all right, this is the firearm that you're allowed to have here in this state, in New Hampshire, in Idaho, in New Mexico. And another state says, this is what you're allowed to have here. And I think that's the way to do it. And if it's too prohibitive, like New York is, you take it to the federal courts. And the federal courts decide. Um. One of the things that uh, obviously everybody's talking about these days is the border. You were on this issue 25 years ago. You were talking about the problem with the border on primetime with some real solutions. You were the first person I heard say uh, have the uh, National Guard back up the Border Patrol. And you had a lot of other very comprehensive solutions to not only stemming the tide of illegal aliens coming into the country, but dealing with the illegal immigrant population that's already here. Gotten much worse since you started talking about it uh, probably more than a quarter century ago. One of the things that the House Republicans have done in order to, uh, I don't know, show that they're taking the border issue seriously is impeach the Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas. It doesn't look like this is going anywhere in the U.S. Senate. So my question for you is, was this a wise thing for the House Republicans to do? You know, it, it doesn't hurt them. Uh, I would much rather see the House Republicans come up with a immigration bill that could work, which they have not done. But it doesn't hurt them to expose the vast uh, incompetence and, um, you know, you could even say law-breaking of the Biden administration. Because the president, for whatever reason, I don't even think he knows what the reason is, is enforcing enforcing immigration law. It's not requiring that if you want to apply for asylum, you go to a port of entry. It's not. And so I would rather see the Republicans come out. And the way to solve this, Frank, is, and Trump embraced a little bit of it 
with the remain in Mexico policy. You want asylum in the United States? Okay. We will process your application and you will get an interview. However, you're not going to wait here for it. You're going to have to wait in your home country, in a third country, and you have no right to wait here for this asylum claim. And that's what Trump did, remain in Mexico, and it cut it down 80%. The other thing that you can do is, because we have so many migrants here, so many people who have entered in, in various circumstances here, say you must register with the United States Department of State, the State Department. You must go to your post office, You must, and there'll be forms there that you fill out and you send it to the State Department and tell us where you are and what you are doing. You have six months to do it. You don't do it, and we catch you, you deport it immediately, immediately. So once you register with the State Department, they send you a card, a tamper-proof card, which they have, and you're in a computer database. And then you can adjudicate those people based on their circumstance. You don't register, you're gone forever. You can't come back. So at least we would know who's here, where they are, and what they're doing. You allude to the fact that, and this has obviously taken on a whole new resonance since this uh, Robert Hur report, but you alluded to the fact that you're not sure that President Biden knows what's going on. I had said before the Hur report, when he declined the opportunity to be interviewed by CBS News for the Super Bowl interview, that the only logical conclusion was that he or his staff wasn't comfortable with putting him out there, even in a relatively friendly format. We're not talking about putting him on uh, Fox before the Super Bowl with Bill O'Reilly and I know you've interviewed quite a few presidents in uh, in that role, but um, I-, I cannot imagine after the language that the special counsel used in that report and the growing, uh, I mean, dissatisfaction even among people that voted for President Biden with whether he's able to even do the job that the Democrats will keep President Biden on the ticket. What do you think? Do you think the Democrats well, stick with Biden or they replace him? They, it, there's no they. That's the problem. So there's no central force in the Democratic Party or the Republican Party um, that can dictate to a sitting president what that president should do. None. But I've said from the very beginning, I didn't think Biden was going to be on a ticket for reelection because I think other things are going to happen. Now, a, a poll out today by Reuters, left leaning and wire service. Um, basically says Trump is beating Biden head to head by just three points. Trump should be ahead by 20. So there are enough Americans who don't care. And that's the only place you can go with this, Frank. They don't care if their president is cognitively diminished because they hate Trump so much. It's all hate Trump. That's what the Democratic Party has. They don't have anything else. Hate Trump. Love abortion. I guess they have that. We hate Trump. We love abortion. Vote for us. Um, Now, Biden himself, um, he and my mother, I wrote a column on this, Dancing with Dementia. My mother went through exactly the same thing Joe Biden's going through. So I know. I saw it. Um, He has a good day. He's a bad day. Uh, He can read the prompter still. He can read that prompter. He cannot think um, spontaneously, which is why they're not going to put him out for an interview. 
So if you or me uh, interviewed him and asked him the question and he didn't have a rehearsed answer in his head that he could recite, he couldn't put that answer together. It wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. That's why you see every day he says crazy stuff, but his support team doesn't care. And that's not doing America very a good uh, turn. Democratic Party should do what they did in 1968. LBJ resigned. I'm going to carry out my term, but I'm not running again. And then at the convention this summer, you know, the people who want to be considered, they have their little confab for three days, and the uh, superdelegates pick somebody to run against Trump. That's what should happen. And it might happen. And so let's say they go that route. Let's say the DNC and their delegates are tasked with uh, replacing Joe Biden. Who do you think they pick? Obviously, the names that get bandied about are uh, Michelle Obama. I don't necessarily see that happening. Um, Gavin Newsom gets talked about a bit. Obviously, I think it would be tough internally to overlook Kamala Harris, but she's got uh, her own set of baggage. Who do they pick? Who, what's the perception of who the strongest Democrat to run against Trump would be? Well, the only criteria is who can beat Trump. That's it. There's no, you know, because the Democratic Party is basically run by the progressive left. And if you are a moderate Democrat, like Tom Swasey here, where I am right now in the third mm-hmm. district, he just won yesterday his seat. Swasey's not a progressive leftist, but he's not going to go up against them. Because if he did, he'd get canceled. That's why you don't get any deviation on a Democratic vote in Washington or Albany. Because if you do, if you're a Democrat, you go against the progressive left, your money's cut off. And they don't, you're shunned. So those people are frightened. Now, um, I think Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, wants to be president. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what's his name in California? Right, Gavin wants Newsom. to be president. Sure. Newsom, okay, and there are a few others, not many, not many, There's maybe five um, that would want to uh, the job. Everybody goes Michelle Obama. The reason is that Michelle Obama is very popular, sure. personally popular. All the polls show that. Um, she could beat Trump. There's no doubt in my mind that Michelle Obama could beat Trump, okay, but I'm not getting any feedback from any of the people that I know who know her that she wants to put herself through this. So that's where we are right now. But anything could happen. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Bill O'Reilly. You can check him out regularly on the uh, No Spin News at BillOReilly.com, uh, one of, what's become one of the most sought-after, uh, widely read, widely consumed independent media organizations in the country. And uh, you can also uh, pre-order his new book, Confronting the Presidents, which I'm looking forward to uh, checking out. Bill, uh, you've had a very interesting relationship. I would characterize it as a friendly relationship, at least professionally friendly, with uh, with John Stewart. John Stewart Stewart's back hosting The Daily Show. Uh, They apparently, for his debut on Monday, had the highest ratings that that show has had since 2018. Curious as a great student of the media, somebody that's mastered all these different forms of the media and done well in all of them, how do you think this is going to go? They say you can't go home again. How's this going to work out for Stewart? How's it going to work out for The Daily Show? Well, Stewart has a fan base. I saw him a few weeks ago. He did a show out in Westbury, Long Island, and uh, went backstage to make fun of him. 
Um, <laughs> and he's very smart and very witty. Uh, he's got a good crew writing for him. Um, and he puts on a far better show than Trevor Noah or wherever else they had in there. I mean, they, those guys are just pure ideologues, just kind of selling this uh, liberal vision of the world. Stewart's very liberal, there's no doubt about it. But he sees the absurdity uh, on both sides, and he sees a lot of things that uh, other people don't see that he can make fun of. So on Monday, and he's only working Monday, um, I think his show will do okay. It's not going to do what he did the premiere. Um, Maddow is the same thing. She just does Monday. Mm-hmm. Maddow brings in about $2.3 million every Monday to watch her. Stewart will probably do a million, maybe 750000 in that zone because Comedy Central is not a major player uh, anymore. Um, and, you know, it's all niche TV now, Frank. People are scattered all over the place. It's mm-hmm. hard to get the word out. It's hard for people to watch. And then, but Stewart is a cut above. So if you watch his show, it's better than the other people that try to do what he does. You know, one of the other people that uh, that has made the transition uh, un- unwillingly, I would characterize it from cable news to independent media, is uh, Tucker Carlson, who uh, did very well in your old time slot. And recently he had this uh, interview with Vladimir Putin, got a lot of attention. I think it was the most downloaded thing that he's done since he interviewed you. And I saw that interview you did with him. I thought it was really interesting. A lot of people took issue with Tucker Carlson even conducting this interview with Putin. A lot of folks didn't like the content of what was on the interview. How do you feel about the fact that he did the interview in the first place? And if you saw it, would you make of the substance of it? I did not see it uh, because there's nothing I can learn from that interview. And my time is so truncated. I get it. I'm so busy that I can't really watch anything unless I'm going to learn from it or it's staggeringly entertaining, which Vlad Putin is not. (laughs) So a couple of things about Tucker Carlson. He's the best marketer in the world. He makes me look comatose. I mean, the guy is a marketing genius, okay? There's nothing wrong with him going over to Moscow and interviewing Putin. Nothing wrong at all. If I got the opportunity, I would interview Putin. But when you go into an interview like that, you know Putin's not going to tell you the truth. He's not going to answer the questions. He's going to do what they all do. He's going to spin into propaganda. And because he's the dictator over there and you're the guest, um, I think Carlson let him do a 30-minute monologue about medieval Russian history before they even got to a contemporary question. And that would have never happened with me. But when you're in that situation, it isn't you calling the shots. Mm-hmm. It's Putin calling the shots. And so if I went over there, it would be, look, we're just going to have a conversation, Vlad and I, but there's not going to be any monologues. And if they said, no, he's going to do a monologue, I would then not do it. But, you know, look, people don't get a uh, – people – Outside of Russia, they don't see the man. They don't get an idea of uh, his demeanor. And that's what Carlson produced. But it wasn't any news to it. We didn't advance the dialogue. I mean, Putin does what he always does. He just lied. 
One of the things that you had told me during the Trump presidency is that Donald Trump had killed cable news and that it would be very difficult for cable news to survive after the Trump presidency because all of it, MSNBC, Fox News, CNN, all of it had just become the Trump show. And when that's not there anymore, there's not much of a show if that's what you've built all your programming around. Somebody, there's been a lot of other people, people that don't necessarily see eye to eye with you, writing the epitaph of of uh, cable news. Uh, Brian Stelter recently did a big piece for Vanity Fair all about how cable news is dead. Uh, Jack Schaefer in Politico had a little bit of a different take. He said, sure, cable news's audience is older, but it's older folks who vote. And because that make because of that, it makes it relevant for the foreseeable future. What do you see as the future of uh, cable news in the near term and the long term? The best thing I, example I can give you is that way back in uh, my career, in 1986, I anchored a show called Inside Edition. Do you remember that? I do. I do. Okay. I, I used to love those. And that was stories. that was a current affair, hard copy, Inside Edition. Now, when I took it over, and I came from ABC News as a correspondent working for Peter Jennings, I took it over and I made it a hybrid. All right, half of it was entertainment, half of it was news, and it worked. And I was there uh, six years. And uh, King World, CBS made a ton of money, millions and millions of dollars. Um, and then I had had enough. And I went back uh, to get a master's degree in public administration from Harvard. So I went from inside edition to Harvard. My agent was going, let me get this straight. You're going to walk away from <laughs> millions of dollars and you're going to pay tuition at a college? Is that what you're going to do, O'Reilly? And I said, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So inside edition is still on the air. All right, still there. Have you ever hear anything about Inside Edition? No, I, I didn't know what's still on the air, honestly. Yeah, Channel 2 at 7 o'clock at night. Okay, still on the air. Now, what happened was that that whole genre uh, died. It just, you know, it was on the air, it was successful, and then people uh, got tired of it, and they moved along. That's what's happened in the cable news. Uh-huh. So it's going to be there because it still generates dollars, for the uh, corporations that put it out, but never again will it be what it, the force it was when I was there. I was number one for 16 consecutive years. I mean, it was unbelievable power that we had. It will never be that again because of a variety of, of circumstances, one of which is that the corporations do not want people like Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. They don't want mm-hmm. the bomb throwers and, and the people that shake it on up. Um, they want the safe people. And you can't get ratings with the safe people. You can't. Uh, let me end with this, Bill. You mentioned Tom Swazi and that special election in uh, New York's 3rd Congressional District. A lot of folks are wondering if this is a harbinger of what's to come in suburban districts for the fall, both for the congressional election and for the uh, presidential election. What do you think? Is this a one-off? Is this a function of uh, a good candidate with name recognition running against a poor candidate with f- uh, very little name recognition? Or are suburban voters getting, I don't know, um, a little fed up with uh, with the Republicans? Well, I'm not the best guy to ask because I blew it in 2022. I thought there was going to be a red wave in this country based upon Biden's terrible economic policies. I mean, he's just wrecked 
the budgets of working Americans to this day. Um, and I said, well, man, everybody's going to be mad because Biden comes in and Trump's inflation is 1.4 percent. and Biden's got it up into 12, 13 percent. So they're going to kick out all the Democrats. And they didn't. So now um, we are facing a similar circumstance, although the economy is better. Uh, Biden's um, his ability to function is far, far worse. And there's no doubt about that. And. So that the voter goes and has the same decision. Do I throw the Democrats out because they've screwed up the country, the border, inflation, president can't put a sentence together? Do I do, I do that and bring in back the Republicans with a, a very uh, flamboyant guy, Trump, who you don't know what he's going to say from one second to the next? Or do I, you know reject Trump as being this heinous villain and and go with the Dems, even though I don't like Biden. It's so hard to call that. Uh, if the election were held tomorrow, I think Biden would lose. But a lot of things going to happen between now and then. Republican Party has got to coalesce around two or three messages, and they got to figure out how to handle the abortion message. Have to. But the problem is there is no leader of the Republican Party. Mm. None. And Trump's not a Republican. He's a populist. So that's their problem, where the Democrats are 100% united. Out of fear, the Republicans are not that. They're all over the place. Bill, we're going to have to end it there. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I hope to do this again soon. People can certainly check you out at BillOReilly.com. It's always such a treat to have you on the program. Thank you, Frank. Thanks for taking the time. Enjoyed it. Thank you. If uh, you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you can give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. 